for just being um, our family and um, for taking on these burdens with us. So thank you for that. Thank you, honey. Appreciate that. Wow. So God is doing much, right? And thank you, as she said, for being the church. It's always a privilege and a blessing. So let's stand and uh, let's look at the word of the Lord. We're going to finish up the pattern of prayer today. And uh, Jesus' final words to us concerning how we should be thinking about prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, the joy of knowing you and and who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you provide for us, the grace that you provide for us. And Lord, now we would just pray that you'd open our hearts and we would hear your word as we reflect on it this morning. Now put it deep into us that we may know you and know how best to communicate with you. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6 We have been covering backwards now. I've been reading this big portion for you for a while, but we're going to just jump into verse 9, the actual prayer here. As Jesus says, Now pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now today, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For you have forgiven others. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. All right, you may be seated. All right, so this has been a long time coming. We had last week as a little bit of an interruption, but a very important message I felt like to, to give to you. We've got a very significant day in the life of our country coming up in uh, just another week. And so uh, make sure that you're paying attention to all the spiritual information that God is giving you so that you can accurately and correctly go and do your diligence as a believer. Okay, so... Uh, I hope as you do your homework, you're going to find a lot of information that God will provide that will help clarify for you what, what's going to be necessary for you to do as you step into uh, the voting booth. Okay, So that's all I'll say about that. We've covered that a lot as of last time. There's a lot of good information out there. What we want to do is hear for sure what the Lord tells us. And so look at verse 12 now. As Jesus has now completed his thoughts to us on this pattern of looking to God and who he is, and then now remembering what we need as God's people. And so he says, forgive us our debts. We are to remember that we are to pray, forgive us our debts. My question as I was looking through this was, what exactly does Jesus mean by that? Well, for me, I have to do word studies to understand exactly what's happening. And so as I looked at the word forgive... I learned that it comes from a root word that means to send or to leave alone. Now, there's other ways you could say this, but this is basically the meaning behind it. So when we're saying to forgive or we forgive, then it means that we are sending away from us or we're leaving it alone, if you will. We're letting it go. And so in this context, it is understood to mean to send the wrongdoing away. You see, leave it alone, send it away. 
And so we're begging the Lord, if you will, in this pattern to ask the Lord to remove or leave alone the guilt resulting from our wrongdoing. Okay? The guilt resulting from our wrongdoing. And the focus, if that doesn't become more clear for you already, the focus is on the person, the one who has done the wrong. That's you and me. And so it's a very personal thing here. Okay? The wrongdoer, not so much the action. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's really an emphasis here on our own hearts, as the Lord has always been doing throughout this whole sermon, and we'll continue to do so as we continue on with it. So there's never an excuse for the action. We're not saying that in no way, shape, or form, but the emphasis is on the forgiveness that the person needs themselves. Now, in thinking about the forgiveness that we need, somebody might be asking, if you're new to the faith at all, or even if you're not new, what do I need to be forgiven for? Well, there are two thoughts behind all of that, but let's talk about the basics, and that is all sin separates us from God, right? Amen? We know that. No question about that. It absolutely controls and dominates every facet of our life. Uh, Case in point, we hear stories of a brother-in-law who falls 30 feet from a tower. I'm not saying that was from his sin, but sin is a cause of all of that if not Satan, behind all of that. But it's just understood that everything in this life is susceptible to sin. Of all the world's problems, the disease, the misery that people live through, the various things, whatever they may be, the dissatisfaction with life. You know, there's so many people that are just so miserable over their lives, the people who are in their lives. All of this is a result of sin. The untimely or ultimately death itself We know, as we've heard many times as we've done funerals here, and I've thought about that personally, that death itself is proof positive that we are all sinful. It is the ultimate price that we pay for living this life of sin, eternal separation from God. You think about it, it is the root cause for all crime. It is the cause of lying to one another. It is the cause of immorality. And on the list goes the sicknesses that we endure in this life, the pain and the suffering. And did you know that even the animal world is affected by sin? It really is true. In fact, if you look at Romans 8, 20, 21, I won't take you to that other than just give you the reference, but you can jot that down and look at it yourself. The animal world, Paul says, groans. The creation itself groans for the return of Christ to make all things right, Paul tells us. Every living thing whether it be human or animal, or even material, immaterial things are affected by sin or is affected by sin. That's the tragedy of it all. And so sin has left us devastated before God. A devastating blow has been dealt to all creation because of sin. Now, this prayer then is for believers who are born again who still wrestle with sin. You and I are that way today, right? And no doubt, if we were to go around the room and we were to be very honest with one another, we would say, yeah, there's some sin that I have even wrestled with this very morning, even before I came to worship the Lord. And so Jesus is saying in our pattern now of prayer, pray that you will seek and be given forgiveness, not for salvation. Remember, he's writing to people who know him, right? These are believers. At least that's who the pattern is for not for salvation, but for forgiveness for the sins that we commit on a daily basis. We need to remember that. 
the things that we do against one another, basically the debts that we owe him. That really becomes the bottom line in all this. And so forgiveness then really becomes the underlying theme of this whole prayer. As you're going to see this closing out this pattern. And God will offer forgiveness to anybody who asks for it. Praise his name. Right? The number of times that we've talked about and, and witnessed to people who think that God cannot bring forgiveness into their hearts is just not true. That's a lie from Satan. Not only for salvation, but for the daily things that we even as believers commit before him. First John 1, 9 through 10, very clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you just love that? That should just be a theme that uh, resonates in our minds and our hearts forever. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, if we say, oh no, I haven't done anything that wrong, or we deny the fact that we've sinned, then we've made God a liar, John says. The Spirit of God says, John writing for him. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And once he forgives us, we are forever free from the condemnation of the sin. And so if you look at Romans 8.1, Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I hope you never forget that. The number of times Satan will try to resurrect the guiltiness in your soul so that you live through it all over again. The Spirit of God is saying, no, it's all been paid for. There is no condemnation for you. Romans 8.33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to do it? Nobody. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise his name. How refreshing. How joyful it is to be reminded of that great truth. <clears throat> now this morning, what are the debts? that Jesus is talking about here. We understand a little bit about forgiveness. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. <clears throat> Excuse me. But there are several things here that Jesus, that he, we need to understand that Scripture refers to as some form of sin or that Jesus is referring to as, as dead here. Now, uh, one author has said this, that there is the pretty well-known or recognized word for sin that we often think of when it comes to salvation, and that is in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. The picture there is the idea of an archer or a person who shoots a bow, shooting at a target, shoots for the bullseye but misses it. So in a righteousness sense, in a spiritual sense, it is the sin that no one can overcome on their own. We need the salvation through Christ. Okay? That's the first part. Or that's the one type of sin that is described in the Bible. And then there's some others. There's one called a trespass. And that is another Greek word that comes from more of a carelessness or an unintentional type of sin. 
maybe a slip of the tongue, something that you didn't intentionally mean to do, but you, it comes out because sin is still in us in a certain way, or a thought that passes through the mind that you didn't realize was coming, uh, some exaggeration that you may uh, elevate about yourself. Uh, those are what trespasses are. A transgression is a little further across the line, which would be to go beyond the limits with God or push the limits with God. It's that part of us or that time where we may say, well, I know God may not be pleased with this, but... And that becomes a transgression, more conscious and intentional than the other. And then there's a word for lawlessness. All these, again, are Greek words that are used throughout the scriptures in the, in the New Testament that is even more intentional and flagrant. It's direct and open rebellion against God. But none of those are the ones that Jesus is referring to here. The one he's referring to here is even another word itself, which refers more so to a moral or a spiritual debt, something that we hold against ourselves or that God would have to cleanse in us because as believers we still sin as a result of it, specifically to those of us who know him. And so what Jesus is saying here in our pattern is this, I want you to pray not for salvation. You already have salvation, but this is for the daily cleansing of the sins that you commit that defile you before the Father. Now, one of the best illustrations in Scripture is given to us when Jesus was just about to go to the cross, but it's in the upper room when he's instructing the disciples, and it comes from John chapter 13. You remember when Jesus girded himself with the towel, we're told, and he went to start washing the disciples' feet? Here's what it says in John, beginning in verse 5. He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Now, in this story or in this illustration, Jesus is using something that's very common to the people of that day. You know, it was very dusty and dirty and feet were nasty all the time because of the sandals that they wore. It was very common to have someone or a servant wash the feet. Well, here, Jesus is using this as a picture of the dirt to represent the daily defilement that comes upon all of us. And this is what Peter didn't understand about himself. It's that defilement that keeps us from being the people that God really wants us to be on an everyday basis. And so as dirt is washed from the feet, Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, even though you belong to me, you still need daily and regularly cleansed from your sin. And so as our judge, then Jesus not only forgives us of our salvation, but is much more eager to forgive his children of the sins that they commit on a regular basis. And I think this is so beautiful as I think about the humility of the Lord as he was so desirous to come and rescue us for eternity. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He also wants us to live a pure life every single day. 
I love what Nehemiah said about the Lord. He said in Nehemiah 9:17, just in his amazement of the Lord, as we were just singing worship to the Lord, it's kind of that same way in my mind from Nehemiah. You are a God of forgiveness. Beloved, can we just pause right there for a second? Have you ever been forgiven? I mean, really forgiven of something you knew you were guilty of? Big or small, you knew what the feeling was like, wasn't it? The cleansing power of that forgiveness when the other person said, I forgive you. And everything could be restored or at least on its path to restoration. So Nehemiah says, you are a God of forgiveness. You're gracious and you're compassionate. You're slow to anger and you're so abounding in loving kindness. It's a picture of our Father, a picture of our Lord himself. Martin Luther, a great theologian, said this, In a dream, he found himself being attacked by Satan. The devil unrolled a long scroll containing a list of Luther's sins. Can't you just see that picture? I think we've all been there. And Satan held it up before him, and reaching the end of the scroll, Luther asked the devil, Is that all? No, came the reply, and a second scroll was thrust in front of him. Then after a second came a third. But now the devil had no more. Luther says, You've forgotten something. Quickly write on each of them, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. Isn't that beautiful? How many of us could very easily feel the guilt and the shame of the sins that we commit on a regular basis were the Lord Jesus Christ himself to reveal the sins that we commit? And Satan so much wants to parade those things in front of us, doesn't he? He wants us to remember them always. But the Lord, even though he would have a list, would say, you see this list? I've forgiven you of all of them. You're clean. Now, as a part of the Lord's requirement for daily cleansing, let's look at the second part of verse 12. He adds this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Very interesting statement. In other words, there's a condition here that the Lord is giving for our being forgiven of our daily sins. In other words, we have to forgive others, the Lord is saying. Meaning God will not grant forgiveness to any one of his children who holds unforgiveness in their hearts. They're very serious. It's like the example of the unjust servant in Matthew 18. Let me read it to you because it is a very revealing sort of illustration understand, I tried to do a little bit of a study on what the amount of money was here that was being owed to the king and it was something like it would have come out to be millions and millions of dollars or maybe even billions of dollars and so Jesus sets the bar that high he says for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves when he had begun to settle them one who owed him 10,000 talents, that's that unbelievable incomprehensible number was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, who, I mean, who could? His Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. And so the slave, doing only what he could do, fell to the ground and laid himself before the Lord saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Well, you know the king thought that's ridiculous. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion even though he knew it was ridiculous, and released him and forgave him the debt. 
But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and that's be about like a day's wage. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Very serious and stern warning from the Lord. Listen, God deals with us just as we deal with others. There's a principle here. And this subject of forgiveness is very much in line with what the Lord wants us to know. And because it's the theme of the pattern of prayer... The Lord knows that this issue is so critical that we, we need not miss it. Matthew 7:12. Jesus will reiterate this later after this chapter. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. That's what God spoke about through the entirety of the Old Testament. How you want to be treated is the way you need to treat others. And so when we are hurt by others, which requires some act of forgiveness... In whatever way, we are to forgive them. This is the principle of the Lord. And even though it may be very, very challenging, we do it not because the Lord just commanded us, that's enough, but because of how he forgave us. He set the standard. Paul would say to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, Ephesians, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Here's the pivot point just as God in Christ has forgiven you he is the model there's a man named Roy Smith who wrote this little illustration he said the art of forgiveness is a spiritual grace every Christian should develop but because this is so difficult to put into practice he offers several of the following suggestions number one if you're struggling with forgiveness, begin by assuring yourself that compared to Christ's sufferings, you haven't been seriously wronged at all. Right? Recall how many kind deeds that have been shown to you, perhaps even by the person who has harmed you. List the benefits you have received from the Lord. Wow, that's untold, isn't it? Thank Him for blessing you and with His love and forgiveness each day. It really is true. Couldn't we just pause in all of these for a long time and think of the great things that the Lord has done for us? Number five, make an honest effort to pray for the one who has injured you. Go even further, number six, by looking for an opportunity to help him. And number seven, if the offense is especially hard to forget, try to erase the memory by thinking gracious and generous thoughts. But number eight really is the bottom line. Finally, before you fall asleep at night, repeat slowly and thoughtfully that phrase from the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And it really becomes because the Lord's the one who forgave us first. And there's really nothing more important in the life of a believer. It is the foundation of the Christian life to be a forgiver. And the Lord doesn't want us to forget that. Now beyond forgiveness, 
Beyond that, though, there are several things that forgiveness does that we need to talk about just for a minute. And that is forgiveness helps us in a lot of other ways. Two of them specifically are that they forgiveness will free us from the guiltiness of our conscience. And I don't know about you, but I do not like to have a guilty conscience. There's nothing fun about having a conscience that feels the weight of guilt from something that it has done or the soul has done. And we've all felt that, right? I can hear several of you kind of moaning when you, when you hear that word because you know the feeling of all that. But did you know that the unsaved world even has a conscience? Now, the conscience is that mechanism that God has built into each of us that helps us feel the distinction of when something needs to change and it's done through guilt. That's what we feel. The unsaved feel it. In Romans 2, the Gentiles, Paul says, who don't have the law, but they do instinctively the things of the law. That's interesting, isn't it? So even though they don't have it mentally and intuitively in their mind, rather officially in their minds, they intuitively know that the law exists. Verse 15, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. The conscience of the soul helping them to determine what's right and wrong. And so God uses, beloved, our conscience to guide us in this life. Don't ever ignore your conscience, ever. It is what God uses to help us to do what is right. And there are lots of illustrations of that. I mean, right here we're at the right at the doorstep, if you will, the precipice of uh, a new election or, or the potential of a change in our country. We don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, but when we talk about living in subjection to the governing authorities, Paul said, do it for conscience sake. Notice in Romans 13:5, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, and he's just talked about how we are to obey the Lord, and that was the context, but also for conscience sake. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you don't obey what the Lord tells you to do, you are going to be overcome with guilt because your conscience, that mechanism that God has placed in you, is going to come alive and you're going to feel the weight of it. And even later when Paul spoke before Felix, who was the governor of Judea, by the Jewish leaders, he said, Acts 24:16, I do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. The conscience is a powerful, powerful tool. And so I'm simply saying that forgiveness helps us release that guilt of conscience that our conscience feels when we have not done what we're supposed to do when it comes to forgiving others. And so forgiveness is just simply a way for our conscience to be settled. And that simply means when you know that you've done everything that you're supposed to do to salvage a relationship or offer forgiveness or both, then you trust the Lord for what's happened there and let your conscience be satisfied knowing that you've done what the Lord has required of you to do. It really doesn't matter how the person receives it. God will deal with that in his own way. But if you don't do that, the Lord's warning here in this prayer is that you will be full of painful reminders of how you would not let go of that experience or the loss of the happiness that you could have if you would just do what the Lord says. And even not having the experience or the satisfaction of the experiences of a freed conscience. Again, as I mentioned the conscience, we all kind of went, oh yeah, I know what that's about. And boy, it's so refreshing when the conscience is relieved, isn't it? 
Just a beautiful thing. Well, unforgiveness can affect us in a lot of ways, and that becomes really the point. Secondly, forgiveness also affects the welfare of the church. As Debbie was so wonderfully saying, how she feels so comfortable and so blessed to be here in the presence of the church. We feel that, don't we? But how quickly unforgiveness violates each of us. When we would have a brother or sister in contention with one another and we're not willing to forgive and let go, push away from us, as the word said, the root word of forgiveness said, the church is affected. We all feel that. We know when there's contention among one of us, right? Whether it's ourselves or whether it's we know it's between somebody else. In the church family, we feel that. And so the church is greatly affected. And so we need to let go of that. Clara Barton, you remember that name? She was the founder of the American Red Cross. Hamp would know that well. Was reminded one day of a vicious deed that someone had done to her years before. In fact, I think you knew her personally, didn't you, Hamp? <laughs> Just kidding. But she acted as if she had never even heard of the incident. And they said, don't you remember it, a friend asked. And she says, no. She says, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Isn't that a great statement? I distinctly remember forgetting it. That's awesome. Listen, we don't forget anything, do we? Well, yes, we do. But we don't forget the things that are done to us hurtfully or spitefully, right? We just have a way of holding on to that kind of thing. But boy, could we just take the words of this this woman and distinctly remember forgetting something? Beautiful statement, beautiful statement. Listen, can I just ask you this morning, how many of you know the blessing of being forgiven by God? What a joy that is. Then let's ask the second part of the question. Is there someone in your life right now to whom needs your forgiveness? Is there somebody there that needs to have you let go of the grudge that you may be holding against them? I think the message of the Lord is pretty clear, and it would simply be let it go. Distinctly remember letting it go. Let's use her words. Okay, now... That's the end of that particular part of the pattern. Let's keep on going so we can finish this today. Let's look at verse 13 because Jesus moves into another part of this pattern. And he tells us how to pray for the protection from evil. To pray for the protection from evil. Look at verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that's a very interesting statement, I think. And I had to think about this for a while and do some study on this. In order to understand it in my mind, I have to do what I normally do, and that is, again, the word study thing. And so I did two on this, and that is the word temptation and deliver. Okay, Because those are the main points that Jesus is bringing up here. So temptation also comes from a root, like every other word, comes from a root word that means to test or to prove. That's pretty common for most of us, which is often related to some form of a trial. Right? That's what we sense that or get that the most from. But because it's in the context with the word evil here, it really speaks of the ability to be enticed to do evil or to some sin. That seems to be the context here. But the confusion for believers often is when you say it that way, is that why would Jesus be telling us to pray that God not lead us into some enticement to sin or some evil when James clearly says God does not tempt anyone to do evil? 
James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15? Well, the answer is because we've been released from the bondage of sin and to sin. We never want to be near sin, right? I mean, for those of us who have truly been set free from the bondage of sin, we don't want anything to do with sin anymore because we see how wicked it is and how much it violates everything from God. And so we pray, Lord, keep us from any form of sin. That's really what we're saying here, what Jesus is saying, or any temptation to sin. And so again, some though have said that this seems to be a little paradoxical because we know that God tests us to grow us, right? We've studied through that before. And so we know that God will do that, just like any other test is designed to help us to grow. He does that to allow us to go through various trials to produce in us a better person. Again, that's the point of a test. But the reality is, if you think with me on this, the reality is any test has the possibility of failure, right? Any test, no matter how good a student you are, has the possibility of failing. That's the purpose of a test, which can cause us to go deeper into feelings of failure. It can sink us deeper, so we potentially quit altogether. That's the sad results often. In fact, soldiers who go to boot camp understand that there are many tests along the way that potentially could cause them to flunk out, right, and not become the soldier that they really want to be. Or a kid who's in school or goes to college realizes that, hey, there's some tests here that cause me to not do well because of whatever reason. And so instead of trying and working harder, I just give up. I feel the failure, I live the failure, and so I just give in to the failure and I never try anymore, I never go back. Well, the point is, testing produces both positive and negative results. And so when God, though, is testing us, Jesus is saying, pray that you will be able to handle the challenges. Pray that you'll be able to handle the challenges and come out the better and not the worst. Again, from God's perspective, he's only testing you so that you will succeed, right? But in our humanness, we understand that there is the possibility for failure. So the idea is then pray that even though God will never test you beyond your ability, you say, Lord, never put me through a test that will give me the remotest possibility of failure. There is a two-sided coin to this. It is the Lord's plan to grow us, but in our sinfulness, we have the ability to back away and receive from this test a failure. Somebody said this, Lord, we should say this, don't ever lead us into a trial that will present such a temptation that we will not be able to resist it. You see, we are held accountable for our sin, right? And so Jesus is saying, when God enters you into a test, your prayer should be, Lord, we detest sin so badly. Please give me the strength to be able to go through this time of testing. And the truth is, we need him to help us with that, right? I, for one, don't want to stand on my own two feet in a testing situation and not have the power of the Lord to help us to go through it. And I know you don't either. So even though we're born again, we still have the ability to sin. So we need help with our mouths at times, right? Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, all the mouths just got real quiet, right? 
because they don't want to be guilty, but that's true. We often sin with our mouths. We sin by what we hear, right? what we allow to come into our auditory canal. We do some things with our hands and our feet that cause us to sin at times. Right? And so everybody, Jesus is saying, should pray regularly, Lord. Keep my eyes, like Job said, from being enticed by sin. Keep my hands from sinning. Keep my feet from sinning. Keep my heart from focusing on anything other than you, Lord, in the midst of what's going, what I'm going through. That's the idea behind temptation. Now, the word deliver here is simply mean to draw oneself from, basically like pulling back from. And it's in the form of a command, which means keep me from the overwhelming desire to sin. And if I do... Rescue me from myself. Rescue me from myself. I need, Lord, your protection. It's the submitting to God. You see, again, if you put the whole prayer and all the sermon that we've seen so far into context, it is that work of the Spirit of God that's bringing about humility so that the saint of God will follow God in every way. Lord, I'm willing to go through the test. Because I know you only do what's good. But I also know my sin. I know my tendencies. I know my ability to fail. So Lord, please don't ever put me through a test that I can't come with it through you. Come through it with you. So the second, now, in conclusion to all of this, Jesus adds this line in verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Which really becomes a very fitting benediction. But let me just give you a little theological lesson here. Actually, it's a... Yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, notice that in your Bible, unless you have a King James, it, probably, it has brackets around this phrase. Some people have often been confused by that. Well, don't be confused. This is just simply a way that the translators of some of the newer translations, if you will say it that way, wanted us to know, wanted the reader to know that this particular phrase, and there are some others in the Scripture were not or was not in the earliest and what were called the most reliable text. Now, most reliable would be because they were simply closer to the original date of when the event occurred. Okay? So the closer the writing is to the event that happens, the more reliable it becomes. There's less time that passes and so less chance of potential error. Now, King James was written from manuscripts that were a little later, okay, but when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was learned that some of the writings were, more, were earlier and closer to the original part of the text, or according to the event. And so our translators have simply put this in brackets to help us to know this wasn't in some of the manuscripts that some of the other translations were from. It's not wrong by any stretch of the imagination. It's actually correct. And there's some other places in Scripture. We won't take time to go through all of that. The good news is these words really make a beautiful benediction to what Jesus is saying here. In fact, it would have been very well understood by the Hebrew people who understood 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So let's go back to that just for a minute where we hear from the writer of the Chronicle beginning in verse 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. 
For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine, and thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. And so, again, a very similar type message from King David as Jesus was now writing to this Hebrew audience. If you go back, way back when we started Matthew, you remember that. So it would have been very clear to them that, oh, wait a minute, Jesus is connecting some dots here. We've heard King David say that. It's written in the scriptures for us. And now he's reiterating the same thing. And so it would have been a very fitting thing. Again, in those contexts of those words from David are also, as he, there are other parts of scripture that as David gave even the plans for the temple to his son Solomon, expressing the gratitude for, to God for the great and amazing work that he was about to do, uh, basically acknowledging God for all the things that he had done and the beauty of who he is. And there's other psalms like this too. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9, if you wanted to look through that, is a beautiful portrayal of the same kind of things. So we just want to make sure we're not leaving anything out of the text to understand clearly what God is saying here. Now finally, and just very briefly and lastly, verses 14 and 15. Jesus concludes with both the positive and negative emphasis. Now these two verses are not part of the prayer pattern. But Jesus follows up the pattern of prayer with these words, almost as if to drive the point home from himself. Notice he says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now notice, he is speaking to the believer because he's talking about your Father. He's not talking to the unsaved here. He's saying, you children of God, listen, if you will not forgive those who have caused sins against you, then mark it down. Your heavenly Father will not cleanse you of that particular sin either. It's not an issue of salvation. This is an issue of being daily clean before the Lord. And so, again, a very fitting conclusion to this as Jesus is bringing his purpose to the point of the funnel, if you will, So he's helping us to see my people humble themselves and they do all that they know to do to live righteously and holy in this life. Listen, as James will say this in conclusion in verse 13, chapter 2, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Merciless for those who show no mercy. But if you are merciful and you forgive, then you will remove yourself from the judging hand of God. Amen? A fitting conclusion, again, as I reiterate that. And a great, great pattern of prayer. Obviously, the Lord gave it to us, so it's got to be great, right? All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for, boy, just the joy of these last several weeks that we've had going through this uh, wonderful, wonderful model prayer that you've given to us. Lord, would it be in our hearts that you would place it deeply there that we would remember this. Uh, So many of us have memorized this prayer over the years and we've recited it just untold number of times. But not many have spent the time looking into the depths of what you really mean. And so now, Lord, we, we understand that you've not given to us a prayer that we're just to memorize for the sake of memorizing it or if it somehow becomes a more powerful prayer but you're addressing our hearts 
And you're wanting us to remember who you are as God, number one. And secondly, to remember our needs that we had before you. Lord, we need our daily bread. We need daily forgiveness. We need daily help from the sin that still lives in us. Thank you that you are a God not only who saves for eternity, but you also clean us every day. Lord, we need a spiritual bath every moment. Our minds are weak and our our spirits are weak without your power in us. And we can easily sin against you and sin against one another. So, Father, help us to take to heart these words that we've learned. And as we go on through the sermon, we know that you'll have much more for us. But we pray that you would penetrate us deeply so that we're remembering we are to be different. We're to be different. We are called by your name. And you've given us the grace to be able to live the life that you've called us. Now, Lord, like the prayer goes, preserve us, Father, through the trials. And we don't trust ourselves. I remember my pastor many years ago said, Bruce, I have no confidence in myself, but I have 100% confidence in God. And so, Lord, may we never look to ourselves to get through any trial, but continually devote ourselves to your power and your great work in us to make us what you want us to be. Lord, we we are blessed people, and we thank you for the joy of gathering together today. May you receive our worship as we finish with our concluding song. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let everyone stand, please. Many times we don't we don't understand what God has in store for us. But one day we'll 